This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Alex Fitton, and I have the incredible honor of hosting this podcast each and every week to bring encouragement and solidarity to us mamas in the trenches and our support systems. Today, I am going to be featuring a chat I had with Leah Burry. Leah was born and raised here in Northwest Arkansas, where I am located. She's the mom of two boys, Levi and Ryan, and she and her husband, Tom, have been married for 12 years. She is also an OT, that's occupational therapist, if you didn't know, OT assistant at Kids for the Future. And she's been doing that for 13 years. And most recently, she is an open foster home specifically doing respite care for other foster families. So Leah and I got to talk about kids from hard places and their sensory needs and how those needs affect their behavior. We also talked about respite care and how she uses her knowledge on sensory behavior and occupational therapy to give much needed breaks to local foster families. Um, she has also compiled a list of sensory needs identification uh, stuff, techniques, whatever you want to call it, and a sensory gift guide on Amazon, which are both in the show notes. So be sure to check those out at theadoptivemompodcast.com. They're in the links and resources section. Um, I'm really excited about this chat. We just had a really good conversation about, I mean, just some of the harder things we deal with as parents when we see these behaviors and we don't know what the heck is going on. Um, Leah is so great. And she was able to say like, well, this is going on in their heads and this is going on in their bodies and this is how you can help. So it's a really practical episode and I hope you guys love, love, love it like I do. Um, Before we jump in, I want to remind you guys to rate and review. If you love this podcast and you think others would as well, that is the best way to let the podcast rise up in the ranks and be recommended to other adoptive parents or people searching for adoption resources. So please take a second and do that. I would really appreciate it. Um, I think that that is all. So let's jump into my conversation with Leah Burry. All right, guys. So I'm sitting here with Leah Burry. And once again, I do mean with her. Like, this is like time away from your her kids. So this is basically vacation. <laughs> um, but I'm so excited to be hanging out with a friend and chatting. Um, and it's so much more fun to do it this way than over the phone. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Miss Leah Burry. I am from Salem Springs, Arkansas. Uh, born and raised, uh, went off to Kansas City for college, um, and then came back to Northwest Arkansas to start my job as an occupational therapy assistant. Um, and I live in Cave Springs. I have two boys, Levi and Ryan. They're ages seven and five. You had to think about it. Yes. <laughs> um, and then uh, husband Tom, we've been married... 11 years. <laughs> He's doing mental math. Yes. Awesome. And so, yeah, both of your kids are biological. Yes. 
But you guys are an open respite home, which we're going to talk about what exactly that is here in a second. But that's really cool. I just I feel like I always have to say up front whether or not you are an adoptive mom um, since it's called, you know, the adoptive mom podcast. But you have a really unique specialty, which makes your um, your wisdom super relevant for this podcast. And you guys as listeners might not know it yet, but Leah's already been involved with the podcast before, um, back when she provided our sensory gift guide in December of 2018 for the email list. And you had, we did a giveaway, you had lots of great stuff on there and that's kind of your specialty, right? Like you, you know a lot about sensory stuff and I know you're gonna be really humble right now and be like, no, not at all. But you really do. Like you're, you're really good at that kind of stuff. I mean, OT involves a lot of different things. But this seems like something that you feel pretty passionate about, right? Yes, I um, yes, exactly right. OT covers a whole lot of areas, um, you know, different ages, different specialties. Um, but I have been doing pediatric OT for um, since two thousand five. Um, so, and I've only worked with kids, and I really like the sensory side of occupational therapy um, just because it's it's a lot of problem solving and it's just a really tangible way to help kids deal with their sensory needs. So you guys have been doing respite care for a few months now and I really want to hear before we jump into all of your OT stuff and um, the work that you do there, what led your family to filling this really important gap in the foster care and adoptive system? Okay, so like I said earlier, just the whole idea of being a full-time foster family was really intimidating to me, and my husband, Tom, didn't really feel like that was our calling. And so we really wanted to help out foster families. We just weren't sure how. Um, and then I went on this really awesome mission trip to Africa where I got to design a sensory room for these kids at an orphanage. So cool. And it was one of the best trips I've ever taken. And it was just a really awesome way of combining my passion for occupational therapy with children in need. And it was just a tangible way to bring those together and, and help. And I was like, this this is what I want to do. This yeah. feels right. This is um, just right in line with my passions and, and gifts. And um, so... But it wasn't until maybe like a couple years after I took that trip where it became clear that respite was very similar. So we are a fully licensed foster home. So we could take foster kids at any time. Yeah. Um, But we are really passionate about respite care. So basically, um, foster families need a break for... Um, various reasons, either they're going out of town, they're going on a trip, or they just need a break emotionally. Mm. Um, We can take their foster kids for an extended period of time and um, give the foster families a break. It has, so far, we, we opened in June, and so far we've been able to help eight families um, through respite care and a couple of the, those families we've been able to help multiple times and build a relationship with the foster families and help them you know take the kids for a weekend or for you know 
five, six days and to give them a break. It's just been really cool to come alongside these families and help in a tangible way like that. Yeah. Well, and talk about, I mean, you said earlier with your mission trip that you were able to bridge, you know, your two passions. Mm -hmm. And have you been able to do that with respite care? Have you been able to um, work with some of the kids in your home? You know, obviously not in a clinical way because they're just there to play and eat and, you know, uh, (laughs) eat up your capacity for the weekend (laughs) or whatever. But um, are you able to work with them and then go to their, their foster moms and be like, hey, I think this might help or... Um, you know, I have some ideas or anything like that too. Yes. We have had a couple of children that have had, um, some special needs. Um, like you said, it's not like a clinical setting, but just, um, it's, it's really funny the way that I parent or the way that I'm a mom to these respite kids is like how I would pick, how I picture myself being a mom. You know, because I'm so much more gentler and kinder (laughs) (laughs) with with these kids because I feel like I can come at it from the perspective of, you know, their background is different. And um, I don't know. It's just coming at it from that OT perspective makes me, I don't know. I just am like, oh, that's the mom I should be to my children. But, (laughs) But, you know, I mean, you're, you're. It's, their foster moms probably don't feel like that. So it's great that you get to step in and help them. But you, another great thing about what you do is that while a lot of babysitters, you know, they can help out and they can provide that relief, but they don't get it like you do. And I think that that provides, uh, that's such a unique perspective that you're able to provide because you're like, you know, I can give you relief. I'm not, you know, I understand trauma disorders. I understand what you're going through. I can see this kid, but it's still, I'm not burned out yet. You know, I'm not, I'm right. like, I haven't been around them. I can still mm-hmm. work with them and um, understand your frustration, but not be frustrated. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Right. And, and I always try to come at it, you know, gently because I don't want to um, I don't ever want the foster moms to think that I figured out their kid or, you right. know, that I have, that you can fix everything. that I can fix everything. Um, but one like specific example is there's a family that we've had their foster kids, um, three, I think we have, we're going to have them later this month. So almost four, four times. And, um, the older one is special needs and, Every time that we've had them, I have seen growth in this in this child and just developmentally and something that she doesn't see in the everyday because she's she you know she's bogged down by his needs and um, his behaviors and all these other things. But to come at it from you know month to month, this kid is making great progress, and so being able to encourage her in that way has been good. Yeah. And I, I, I love that you're able to provide that. Um, so I, speaking of all of that, I think that it would be great to get into what your specialty is and to talk about, um, I don't know, some of these behaviors and what stems from them. And, um, so f- or what they stem from, that's what I'm trying to say, you know, the wine talking, <laughs> um, 
But okay, so first let's kind of let's start at the beginning. So okay. there's a lot of different sensory behaviors. I mean, yes. most if you're going to go polarized, right? There's what are the two like polar opposite sensory needs? There's like yes, there's um like seeking, right? Yes. So there's um the under responsive. So those are like the kids that are sensor or um yes seek. Seeking sensory input, um, and then there's the other it the other end, which are um, they're sensory defensive, right? So, okay, so your sensory system, you think of your five main senses, right? Sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing. Yeah, that's five. I okay. count on my fingers <laughs> like a child. <laughs> Yes, we learned this in pre in in preschool. <laughs> um, but there are also other sensory, right? There's also there's there's I think three other senses, right? And yes. you guys, I was like 27 years old when I learned about these three other senses, and it's that okay. was one year ago. It's okay. Most OTs will tell you there's um, eight senses. So oh, right. there's three, yes, right? there's okay. three extra, um, but there's, and these are big words. So, but um, buckle up, guys. buckle up. It's about to get nerdy. Okay. So there's the vestibular system and that basically is where your body is in space. Mm-hmm. So in your inner ear, <laughs> you're really technical, the fluid in your inner ears, um, helps control where you know where you are in space. Mm-hmm. So when you move in a circle and you're spinning, it's your inner ear, the fluid in your inner ears that helps you recalibrate after you stop or that helps you aware of, oh, my goodness, I'm spinning around in circles. Like equilibrium, right? Yes. So that's a vestibular sense. And then there's proprioception, which is this. there's tiny little sensory receptors in between each of your... um, Joints. Um, and so basically proprioception is there to help you know um, where your body is in relation to everything else. So basically when you sit down, you can close your eyes and say where every part of your body is. You know, my bottom's in the chair. My legs are crossed. My elbow's on the table um, because of those receptors in your joints. And then the third one is interoception, which basically is the, you know, inner feeling, knowing what you're feeling on the inside. So just your inner feeling of well-being, I think. Okay, you're like so smart right now. <laughs> um, I didn't, okay, like I, I know I'm some of these needs up. because I, you know, experienced them with rock, but I couldn't have told you what they were called for a lot of money, probably. <laughs> um, so before we get into, you know, how those present themselves or, you know, if they're in overdrive or the opposite of overdrive, and I know that you're not like a counselor, but what are some of the causes of having heightened or deafened senses? Is that the right word? Is that the, the clinical term for it? Um, over-responsive or under-responsive. Thank you. You're See, welcome. she's so smart. But like, okay, so what are what are some of the causes? You know, we know that the general word would be trauma, but what are some of the, you know, specific correlations that you've seen? Well, 
I mean, there's no there's no specific cause. Mm-hmm. I mean, people just There's no there's no specific known cause. Um we tend to see it more in children that have been through some sort of trauma. So drugs in utero mm-hmm. is a big one. Um yes, hand raising. We see a lot of we see it a lot with children with autism. Um and you know, there is sensory processing disorder is its own disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it, and it can, everybody has sensory issues. Yeah. I mean, I don't like my food touching, you know. I don't like my socks to be wrinkled. But I can't handle lots of noises. Exactly. But that doesn't interfere with our being able to carry out the, you know, our lives. Right. And the way I've always, um, the way the, the way that I've always had it compared to me, because as someone who is you know neurotypical, I don't fully understand the you know the depth of sensory needs, and I've had it explained to me like, you know, when you breathe, you get enough air, and mm-hmm. you just you do what you need to do. If you you know if you're getting shallow breaths, then all of a sudden you'll take a deep breath, and that you just regulate that on your own. Right. But for people who have sensory needs, it's like taking really shallow breaths. And not quite knowing how to take that deep breath or not mm-hmm. feeling like you can regulate that on your own. Um, and so you just feel like you're going without. So, I mean, drugs in utero, I've heard that from so many people mm-hmm. or fetal alcohol syndrome or just any kind of uh, physical trauma, especially mm-hmm. physical abuse or neglect can be a big one, right? Yes, neglect is. So I didn't realize that you guys don't see any more any common correlation between a type of abuse and a sensory need. I didn't realize that. I mean, it really depends, you know, case to case. Um, Neglect, we would see a lot of um, just very under-responsive. So they kind of appear like um, a bump on a log. Um, They're just, um, they they need that sensory input, but they don't actively seek it out, basically because they don't know how. Mm. Um, Or with neglect, you could see kids who are very defensive that don't want to be touched that that are very um that are on the other end of the continuum so it really depends on the kid and you know and we try really hard not to treat the diagnosis but to treat the child so every kid is a case by case you know like what are they presenting what 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 behaviors do they exhibit and then we go from there okay so they're running into walls okay and then we take our step steps back and be like why are they running into walls is it something that they're seeking yeah and then we just kind of go from there it's all problem solving and so what do you think is the toughest situation to i mean i know you want to stay away from that word diagnose but i just mean what is the toughest situation to, to figure out what is the what do you what have you seen as the most stressful situation for a parent I would say um, the most frustrating, well, one that is very frustrating are the kids that can't stay still. Mm. Because as a mom myself, I know when you're going out into public, (laughs) 
you just want your children to be still and to um, stay in the cart and not grab things. And that's hard for a neurotypical child to do. Not, and not touch each other. And not touch or breathe each other's air or look in their direction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's hard for, for neurotypical children. But then you put in a kid that, you know, their brain chemistry is off and they're heightened by everything that's going around. And you, you just, it's just stressful for me because it's a hard one to treat. And it's so frustrating for the parents because you just see, you know, you just have those feelings of everybody's looking at me and everybody's thinking, why don't they do something with their child that's running around Walmart? Yeah. Or can I say Walmart? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's like shopping local here, right? <laughs> yes. We live in Northwest Arkansas, which is where Walmart headquarters is, biggest retailer in the world. Mm. Um, but anyway, so, okay, let's go like real deep here. So this is a practical episode and I'm really excited about this because it's going to give us some um, really, I mean, just practical help about our kids that we, we, we see these behaviors every day and they infuriate us all. Um, and so let's talk about each of these things. So when you know you name those three extra senses or you have a kid that um that is sensory seeking what are what are some of the things that parents are going to see and notice about each of these okay i don't care what order you go in okay um so basically it's like a it's like a continuum right okay. wine glass <laughs> um and it's really hard to so basically she's that's why I'm, she's struggling here. She's trying to show you guys. I'm using my hand motion. <laughs> okay, so basically it's a it's a really long continuum and the majority of us are in the middle. We can regulate, we know how to deal with senses that are coming in. Um so on the far right side, we'll say, are our over-responsive children. So they have big responses to incoming sensory information. So they're very defensive. These are the kids that are picky eaters. These are the kids that cover their ears when there's really loud noise. These are the kids that don't like clothes tags, socks, seams. Um, tight hugs. Tight. Yes, exactly. And these are the kids that need calming activities. These are the kids that need the deep pressure that need the bean bags, the noise canceling headphones, the weighted lap pads. And side note, be very, very careful when you're using weighted blankets. Okay. When your children sleep. Ooh. Especially if they're under the age of two. Okay. So my son's three and has a weighted blanket on him like right now. So <laughs> go take right now. Do I need to go pause this? Pause. <laughs> Young children should have no more than 10% of their body weight added on them while they're sleeping. Um, and then it's any, for any child under two, I would say don't use it while they're sleeping. And that just goes along with the weighted blanket is supposed to calm you. It's supposed to, um, which also can decrease your body's reaction to something dangerous. Yeah. So if they were to, you know, I don't want to go into just don't use them on kids under the age of two. <laughs> Good to know. Noted. Yes. Everyone write that down. Um, okay. So that's for like kids who are, um, and I've, I've already forgotten the words, Leah. 
like under they they don't want senses, right? Right. So they're over responsive. There you go. So you know, you think about something like the hum of the computer screen. Like you and I can hear it if we stop and listen, but a child that was over responsive, it, it could be driving them crazy. So if you have a kid that is maybe opposed to these things, they, they have a tag in their shirt that's driving them insane, um, but they don't know how to tell you because they have other trauma issues, what are some of the behaviors that you might see that are like a cry from, for help from a kid? Um, pulling at their clothes. Um, they don't want to get dressed in the morning because they know that something that's harmful to them is coming. Um, and you'll... You'll probably see it across the board. It probably won't just be one thing. It will probably be a combination of things that they're that they over respond to. Okay, these are good. Yeah, good to know. So, and which which fancy word would that one adhere to, or would it adhere to all of them? The the inside the body, the outside of the body. Oh, parts? the like senses. Yeah, or would it kind of be all of a mixture of mm-hmm. all of them? Yeah, because okay. it's coming from outside. It usually. Since it has to do with touch and sound, it's really just some of the main ones. So th- that's so fascinating to me because I feel like, I mean, I'm just, my, my go-to is rock because that's my, I mean, that's my everyday. So he seems to really struggle with the first two you said. I don't know about his inside, the inside of his body, although he can seem to tell me when his head hurts or his belly hurts. But yeah, like when I say take your pants off, that, I mean, just meltdown city. Like mm. he can't figure out how to get his pants down mm-hmm. and he doesn't seem to understand. I'm like, pull your ain't, you know, pull it off your ankle, your heel. And he's mm-hmm. like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so, yeah, that's, th- this is like piquing my interest. Um, so what about what, moving on along the continuum? What's next? Okay. So on the other side, so we talked about over responsive. Um, so now going on the other side is the under responsive. So there's little or no reaction to incoming info. And so because they're under-responsive, they kind of fit into two categories. Mm. They are sensory seekers. Um, and then there are the sensory... Av- they're not avoiding, they're just passive about it. Because they can't feel it. Right. right. So they're just kind of like, meh. <laughs> um so the sensory seekers, and this you'll include in the notes. Yeah, the show notes. Yeah, I'll have yes. all of this in there. and um, It'll I'll break have, it all down nicely yeah. for you. There's like a sweet chart. <laughs> um, so the sensory seekers, these are the ones that everybody thinks of. Okay, these are the ones that are craving sensory input because their body is so under-responsive to the information coming in. They're constantly seeking it out. These are the kids that do the hand flapping. These are the kids that do the spinning. These are the kids that are running just constantly in motion that can't sit still in their seats. Um, running to walls. Lots of boys are fit into this category. <laughs> um, yeah, run into walls, jump off of, you know, really, really high um, surfaces. Um they have a very, very high threshold for sensory input. These are the kids that could spin constantly on like a merry-go-round or a swing and get off and go the next thing. Like there's, it doesn't, it doesn't phase them. Yeah. So they're just constantly 
It's like if you were constantly hungry and you were constantly looking for something to eat and you were never satisfied. That's like these kids. They're constantly looking for sensory information and they're never satisfied. Um, So these are the kids that need organized stimulating activities. So it's going to sound counterintuitive, but the kid that's constantly moving, that's what they're seeking. That's what they need. They need the constant movement. They need to be spun and spun and spun and spun. They're the ones that need to go on the swing and go as high as you can push them. Um, But it has to be organized. So you have to be able to put the, the increased activity with like a gross motor movement. Um, which is? Which is, or um, like an upper body strengthening. So, um, you know, something that helps them organize after they've hit the threshold. Otherwise, they um, won't be able to release the appropriate brain chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds it sounds opposite. Like when you see a kid running around, you think, "Oh, I need to get them to calm down, so sit still and you know, do this puzzle or lay under this weighted blanket," which is fine. But before that, then they would need, you know, they need some sort of activity first and then Yeah. But in one of the something that's I guess kind of a side note is, you know, you're talking about they don't feel a lot of the the incoming senses and that can include pain, right? So a lot of these kids, it's almost dangerous because they could say get a concussion and might not even notice or, you know, they might notice the like feeling dizzy maybe or I mean, but they no, not even that. So it can be a little bit what are what are some of the signs you can notice? I mean, besides bruises. But, you know, when these kids hurt themselves or they they have these extra needs that we just don't understand or can't see, what what are we looking for? Um, these are your wild and crazy kids. Okay. I mean, these are the kids that just seem so out of control. Um, so basically, if I if a kid like this was to walk into, you know, a therapy session, um, I would, you know, put him on the swing. And we would swing for, you know, an allotted amount of time. And then we would go and climb the rock wall. So it's giving that activity that they're seeking. like So the movement of the swing, and then they're having to do the heavy lifting and the heavy weight and the gross motor of the rock wall. Mm-hmm. And then maybe um, I would take them and we would do the slide, you know, um, a couple times and then we do some floor work so like you know on your belly and propped up on your elbows we do something in there and then i would take him to the table to try to get something out of them um you know developmental wise and i know for rock like they use the those um those activities as like rewards for his ot sessions so like if he can sit and do his cutting and his you know drawing straight lines then mm-hmm. he gets to play with the beans and rice. Right. Or whatever. Um, which apparently there are just all kinds of tantrums when you try to pull them away from the beans <laughs> and rice. It's fun, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So if you have what is and you said the other one that were they're passive. The yeah, so the sensory sensory passive. So they are also under responsive, but it's more but they're not they could care less to seek it out. 
So these are the kids that will seem like a bump on a log. So they're just kind of sluggish. They're usually overweight. Um, They just don't feel it coming in, and they don't want to do anything about it. Okay. So, okay, this is shifting gears, but talk to us about, so there's like, what there's probably a clinical term for this, but I'm going to call it a sensory meltdown, which mm-hmm. is very different than a regular meltdown. <laughs> so yes. how does a parent tell the difference? Oh, Cause I know for me, and I'll just give you <laughs> from experience when rock is throwing a sensory tantrum, he will like, can like move his body around in this weird, like he'll shrug his shoulders and you can't mm-hmm. see me right now, but I'm kind of doing it. Like he'll move his arms and it's like, it's it's really it's like a slow convulsion like it's mm-hmm. not quick but i'm like okay you need some input here so is that something you that's pretty common i mean it varies it varies between children okay um and i get the we in this profession get the question a lot is it sensory or is it behavior mm-hmm. is the child doing this um because they're being manipulative and they want to get something or are they doing this because they truly have a sensory need? And the answer is it's both. It may start out as a behavior that progresses into a sensory meltdown, or it may start as a sensory thing and then just becomes this full-blown behavior meltdown. And so I would say to just always, if you have a kid that has sensory needs, and even if you don't, I've done this with my own you know, children, just if you come at it from a sensory standpoint, I feel like there's a level of grace and maybe a level of understanding where it's not just me trying to conform my child to this behavior, but, okay, what is going on here? What is my child struggling with? You know, if, if you had an infant, okay? And they were hungry. So when infants are hungry, they start to cry um, because they haven't learned how to, you know, regulate. And they can't take care of their own needs. You wouldn't take that inf- in the, inf- the infant and say, stop crying right now. I have to go and make a bottle and be right back. Just like if you had a three-year-old that's in the middle of a tantrum Sitting, standing there saying them, telling them to calm down is not accomplishing anything. Mm. So, and it's hard. And I know it's hard. In the heat of the moment, you're in the middle of the store or you're at your in-laws, you know, and your child is <laughs> wreaking havoc and you just want to be like, Ugh. Um, I just want to say stop. Like, that's <laughs> good. Just stop. Just Please stop. <laughs> stop doing what you're doing. Or, you know, like even more serious, if 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 there was somebody that was um, deaf, you wouldn't tell them to listen harder. Right. If there was somebody, you know, that was blind, you wouldn't say, just try to see. <laughs> and it's really very similar to if you have a child that cannot regulate the sensory information that's coming to them, then it's very similar. 
Okay, I hope you are absolutely loving my uh, conversation with Leah Burry. She's so great, and we'll get back to her in just a second. First, I wanted to remind you guys about our new Facebook group, The Adoptive Mom Community. It's really fun. We have just all kinds of resources and support in there and it's such a great community of women supporting each other and it's not just for adoptive moms it's also for support systems and birth moms and people hoping to adopt and but it's all just people who can surround around the podcast and um, chat about it and lean on those resources and lean on each other so be sure to go to the adoptive mom you'll find links to join there or you can just search for the adoptive mom community on facebook Also, if you haven't signed up yet, be sure to sign up for emails. They go out every Monday morning. I don't blow up your email, but it has the links to the podcast um, in all its various listening forms uh, right to your inbox with a note from me and a little bit of um, the show notes included as well. It's just a really great resource. And I want to make sure you're on that list because I do giveaways quite often in there. So go to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash email. And that is it. Back to the show. So are you even, are you able to talk to us about what that's doing in their brains at all? Or is that, is that something that like a psychiatrist would have to explain? Like, do you, what, and we were talking about neurochemicals and we know that trauma actually rewires a child's brain. Mm -hmm. So what is happening on a neuro level when they're not getting input or they're getting too much input or just whatever, what's causing them to have these sensory meltdowns and maybe, cause I know that for me, whenever I understand it that way, it helps me to see them with different eyes, not so much as they're throwing a fit because they're three and Mm -hmm. more looking at it and saying he's throwing a fit because his body feels like it's, Mm -hmm. you know, on fire or whatever. Right. Well, and you know, three-year-olds do throw fits. Right. I mean, it is developmentally appropriate for a three-year-old to throw fit. That doesn't make me feel good at all. (laughs) (laughs) So suck it up and no, um, No, it is all about the brain and neurochemicals and the right ones being released at the right time. And if you have a child that was exposed to drugs or, um, I mean, exposed to anything in utero, you know, stroke or um, any of the various things that can happen, not just trauma, um, their brains don't work the way that they're supposed to, you know, and the right chemicals are not firing when they're supposed to. And so if you can figure out the right activities to do for your kids, it can help your brain, you know, fire the right chemicals. Tell your body to calm down or tell you. Yes, exactly. From a, an approach that I feel is way more productive and helpful than everybody getting moms and children throwing fits. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> um, okay. And this is, this is totally, I just, this question just popped into my mind, but where would rhythmic movement, which one of those would it fit into? Okay. Cause like, okay, for instance, my child to go to sleep, he bangs his head on his pillow. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about it cause it's on a pillow, but it's like any kind of hums to himself while mm-hmm. he does it. What, where does that fall in? <sighs> So rhythmic movements. Um, Rocking, that would be another example, Yes. Right? A- addressing, rhythmic movements address um, reflexes. So basically when you're born, you have certain reflexes that 
haven't integrated themselves into your system yet. Um, if you have drugs or alcohol in your system, it can help. I mean, it can delay that integration. Mm. Um, That's fascinating. There, I mean, our bodies are created so specifically to work where it all works together, and we know that. But it's just amazing to me that when one thing gets off, it can just throw everything out of whack. Yeah. Um, so the sensor, the um, rhythmic movements can help a child with the reflexes that have or have not been integrated. So these are the questions that you should definitely ask your OT. Well, and on that note, I wanted to ask, you know, so if you're speaking to a mom who has a kid that falls on any, any point in the spectrum, but maybe getting services for them feels really intimidating, or maybe they adopted them from another country. And so they don't even know where to start. And they're from a very neurotypical family. I mean, that was me. Like, I was like, what is OT? I don't understand. Um, what do you like? What are the questions that you ask? How do you get your kid tested or evaluated or anything? Like, where do you start? And what would you say to look for? Like, if you're seeing these things, um, you know, call and tell them this, you know, I just know that it can be really intimidating for someone who's completely mm-hmm. out of their element there. Right. And the verb, you know, and knowing the right verbiage and, right. um, so ever, like I said before, everybody has their sensory quirks and that's not what we're talking about, you know, in particular, these are the kids where it interferes with, you know, their daily lives. They can't get past something because of whatever it is that they're feeling. Um, and even if you're not sure, it doesn't hurt to ask, but start with your PCP. So start with your pediatrician. Um, say, hey, I've been noticing these things. I'm wondering if maybe they have some sensory issues. And then from your pediatrician, you should be able to get a referral to get an OT evaluation. Mm-hmm. And the evaluation is usually free, correct? Or it's usually... It's clinic by clinic. Right. But it's usually not difficult to get in just to, to get an evaluation. Right. Right. And then, um, and then you can go from there. But in my experience, any peds therapist is going to be super awesome to work with and they really do love kids um and before we get to these closing questions i wanted to get i wanted to ask you leah about some really um you know treating a kid who has sensory issues is never going to be like a short road it's always going to be um a long journey and that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing it's just Mm -hmm. not going to be a quick fix but there are some things that can help alleviate some immediate, you know, like a a sensory meltdown or something like that. What are some of those things? I know that, you know, when we did your sensory gift guide around Christmas time, you had a lot of toys on there, but it can be as simple as, you know, making a sensory board or Mm -hmm. having a sensory table or manually Mm -hmm. regulating, which is something I have to do to rock every day. So talk Mm -hmm. to us about some of those. I I don't want to use the word quick fixes, but they can help diffuse a situation. Right. Um, And it's going to be case by case. Um, And I would say, I would start with you, you know, your children, you know, what sets them off, because those are the things that you try to avoid every day. (laughs) Um, And then you know what doesn't work, Mm. because these are the, you know, these are the hardest parts of our day, right? Um. And so, and it really depends on where they fall on the con- on the whole continuum. 
Um, but generally speaking, and this is very general, if you have a kid that's throwing a meltdown, they're either going to want to be hugged and held, you know, that deep pressure input, or they want to be left alone. So that's a really great place to start. Mm. Do they want me to come in and, you know, wrap them up in a big bear hug, or do they want me to give them space? And so that's a good way to start, you know, just start from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it really depends on if your child is verbal, if they can express what they want. You know, if you have a child that's not verbal, then, you know, that just adds a whole nother level. What are a couple of your favorite sensory toys? Um, let's see. What do I use every day? <laughs> um, obviously, swings. I really, you know, there's an swinging. Yeah. And y'all, pod swinging pod chairs are like 25 bucks on Amazon. Rock and you for can, Christmas. does yours hang in the doorway? Uh, it hangs or, in the ceiling. Yeah. Yes. If you can get a swing in your house, um, especially if you have a sensory seeker, um, and if you get one of the ones that's kind of like a pod or made out of that like spandex material, that can be really good for calming, whether they swing in it or not, just to have that enclosure. Yeah, because it cuts out um, it cuts out hearing sense and it it narr- it's like a tunnel vision because mm-hmm. when you sit in it, it pulls the field of the the field of view to like this tiny little oval. Mm-hmm. So. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are um, yeah, so swing. Um, um, so those really large yoga balls mm. are really good for children that um, need calming activities. You know, bouncing on them, rolling over them, um, having your child lay on the floor and taking the large yoga ball and rolling it over them and putting a little bit of pressure, not too much, <laughs> um, can be really good. Um, and honestly, I like I really like fidget toys. Mm. I like the things that they can just hold in their hand that's not, you know, going to get in anybody's way that they can kind of fidget with. And then we'll do a little bit of, you know, coloring and then we'll play with the toy and then we'll do some blocks. And um, so. And you can, I mean, there's just, there. we're going to provide this sensory guide um, or some of the, uh, what am I trying to say? Leah actually created an Amazon wish list that has a lot of these toys on there and I'll provide the link for that. We shared it back in December. Um, but if you sign up for my email list, then I'll go ahead and send you that as well Mm -hmm. with a lot of these really awesome things. Um, another favorite that I've heard from school age kids is the band that stretches on their chairs so they can play with it with their feet and it does help them sit still. Mm -hmm. Is that one on there? I can't remember. It wasn't, but, um, yeah, that's a really good one for school age children. And it doesn't have to be anything special. It could be like those um, the bands that you can get just like in, in an exercise on the exercise equipment aisle yeah. at the store, and you just wrap them around the front of the chair and the chair legs. Yeah, so cool. See, this is like super fascinating to me, especially now that I have um, a sensory seeking kid because that's what Rock is. It's really interesting to me to hear all of these things that. Um, I don't know. It opens up a whole new world because as, like I said before, as a neurotypical kid, I didn't need a lot of this stuff, but now I'm like, give me all the sensory toys. Teach me how to like, I mean, I'm doing like foot massages on my three-year-old. I'm like, please calm down. (laughs) Um, 
And a lot of that is thanks to Leah. You know, she's just being such a specialist in this area. I think, um, I don't know, it enables you to help people in a way that they didn't even know they needed, which is so cool. Um, okay. So I want to get into some of these closing questions. So, well, I was going to say along with the notes, there's also, um, a little chart that kind of breaks down. Okay. If your kid needs calming activities and then it gives like a list of ideas that you can use. If there's, if your child needs alerting activities, um, it gives examples of those. That's super helpful. I'm looking at it right now. Um, that's really interesting. Did you create that? Yes. Wow. I told you guys. She's like so smart. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. Closing questions. So what do you wish, what do you wish everyone knew about, about your job specifically and and in particular a sensory specialist area? You're being very generous with the specialist word. (laughs) Not a specialist. Just for the job you want. (laughs) Experience. Um, it changed to the clock. Is that okay? What do I wish everyone knew about OT? Or just yeah, what what your this narrow this focus of sensory OT stuff. It's going to take a while. Mm. It's it's not a short road. It's not going to be an easy road. There's going to be a lot of trial and error, but this stuff works. If you can get the right the right stuff for your kid, it can make huge huge differences. Okay. So, and then um, next would be, what is a common mistake that you see? So something that you wish you had done differently in the beginning, you know, maybe a common mistake you made in the beginning and something that you see parents doing. Um, and this is not to shame anyone. It's just, you know, like if you could go back and be like, let's rewind, just mm-hmm. fix this one little thing. Um, over-talking. Ooh, that's a good one. And so, to, you kept it short and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> If your kid is in the middle of a meltdown, they don't want to hear you rationalize. They don't want to hear you talk about how terrible they're behaving and they don't they don't they don't care basically. Um so just if you can figure out the sensory thing that they need um you can save the the talking and the encouraging for after the meltdown is over mm. and then come alongside them and say I love you and I care about you. And that's when the words mean the most. Well, and you have told me before that there are specific two word phrases that you can use in moments like that, like try again or mm-hmm. with respect or listen and obey. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, yeah, that's not OT. Right. But that can help in those situations. Yes. It's, it's short and sweet, mm-hmm. two words. And um, if you need to speak and not just. Um, provide the sensory need. My question is usually what is your favorite adoption resource? But I want to tailor that to obviously what we're talking about. So what's your favorite resource to learn about um, the sensory needs of our kids, especially these three extra senses that are just not that known, but I feel like any kid with trauma is going to struggle with at least one. Right. Um, Your friendly neighborhood occupational therapist. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite resource. Um, Well, and I think, Knowing the knowing the verbiage and knowing what to look for, you know, if you were to go to the the internet and put in sensory processing, you would get completely overwhelmed. I get completely overwhelmed with all the information. Mm-hmm. But if you were to go and search, 
using the right verbiage, you could come up with something that's more specific to what you're looking for. So, hey, I want to know more about vestibular input. Yeah, <laughs> you could. It's a fancy scientific term. Yes, that's the yes. vestibular, you know, input. You know. Oh, I love it. Okay. So what is your, you know, lastly, if you could sum it all up, what's your biggest piece of advice or encouragement to adoptive or foster families who are seeing these behaviors and are like going insane? Ask for help. Ooh, yeah. Simple Um, but good. I think another, um, this just came to me and maybe I should have brought it up earlier, but I think there's, there's a lot of like, well, this stuff didn't exist 20 right. years ago, so it can't be valid. But, you know, I'm sitting here like how many sensory seeking kids are walking around as adults now and they just were never taught or they were never dealt with. And I think that it's really cool how um, we have all this new information now mm-hmm. and we're learning what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like even me, you know, sometimes it's afraid. I'm like, am I enabling him or am right. I, you know, doing something am like I that? Am I just giving in to what he's right? Right. But I just, I don't know that that's possible. The more I learn about it, like what there's literal, there's no harm in giving a kid an opportunity to play in beans and rice, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Um, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to enable. And I think that it's just really cool how, how much this field is growing. Cause I know that it's the, it's the newest, uh, Field of, health, yeah, it, right. Well, I don't know what the the phrasing would be, but it's it's the newest um, like therapy service that you can regularly get mm-hmm. for pediatrics, especially. Um, so it's just really neat. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited that you were able to take the time to sit down with us and give us some some practical help on some issues that just I mean I, I use the word plague, but I just mean that in the sense of like. These are the kinds of things that make us want to pull our hair out. And if we have the right tools, it doesn't have to be so scary or intimidating. And so it's really cool that there are people like you in the world who think that sensory stuff is fascinating and want to learn about it. So then you can share your knowledge with us. Um, and I'm going to plug the adopted mom community because if you're in there, Leah is too. And you can tag her and have fairly immediate access to all of her wisdom. <laughs> but where else can they find you? Okay, um, yes, going off the don't be afraid to ask for help, please, please, please feel free to reach out to me through Facebook, Leah Burry. Um, that's probably the best way. Yeah. Um, just message me and be like, oh, hey, I have this question. And um, I would love, love, love to help. Yeah, she's super cool. And I'll link to all of her stuff in the show notes too. Um, but until then, thanks so much, Leah. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.